0: Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox, The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and Happy New Year. Uh, Excuse the mess behind me, but I am in the middle of cutting the latest edition of The Thriller Zone, now in Season 2. Man, I am so excited, and I thank you so much for supporting us through uh, the beginning of a new podcast. You know, it's not easy work. It's a one-man show right now, and uh, but you've been so great. Your support and your encouragement has been fantastic. Now, let me get to today's show. My special guest today is none other than the legendary Ace Adkins. Man, I've been trying to get him for a long time. And he's got a new book out called Bye Bye Baby, the latest Spencer novel in the Robert B. Parker series. He's also got a new one coming out in July called The Heathens, which we won't cover today's show, but we will come back for a reprised visit, I guess we can say. Also, we'll be talking about uh, Quinn Colson and a whole lot more. But my favorite part is when we talk about beer and bourbon and books and barbecue. So, do me a favor, strap in and get ready for a fantastic interview with a guy that is about as down to earth and nice as they come, Mr. Ace Atkins, right here on season two of The Thriller Zone.
1: Hey, good morning.
0: Good morning to you.
1: Apologies on the delay. I've I, spent a, a while since I've done uh, any calls, so I had to update my Zoom. I had to do a little short update, so.
0: No worries. Yeah. One of our friends who like to hang outside. I like that.
1: Yeah. It's a rare, it's a, it's a nice day for a change. It's been kind of a dismal week, so it's a nice, nice change of pace for sure.
0: Nice. Is that a ding on your end or my end?
1: That is on my end. And I'm going to try to get that damn thing off, man.
0: And you're in,
1: I'm in Oxford, Mississippi,
0: Oxford. Yes. I'm in San Diego.
1: Oh God. It's so ugly. there. just terrible, (sighs) awful weather all the time.
0: It is kind of a shame, Ace. Uh, We we put up with it, you know.
1: It's a tough call. It's a tough call. I actually have a nephew uh, from Georgia who just uh, graduated from college and he said, screw it, I'm moving to San Diego. And he (laughs) just pulled up up stakes last year and moved to San Diego and is absolutely loving it. So cheers to you guys. As I'm sitting here in my... In the dismal uh weather which is probably terrible for you guys but it's a good day for me so so cheers to that
0: cheers <laughs> yeah it's uh we just got back from uh colorado springs denver area where it was uh unusually warm and then uh, we started we're getting ready to head back we're like do we go today or tomorrow and we looked at the weather and we'd go oh we're going today and yeah. just as we left this front came in and just dumped snow and ice and everything. So, uh,
1: not, and not good ski snow, like locked in your, your, uh, your chateau kind of, kind of snow.
0: Yeah, no, not my chateau anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so we got back here and we're like, there are two things we, uh, two things we said. As soon as we got here, we went to visit our kids and the grandkids, which are 10 months and three years. And I said to Tammy, my wife, I said, I've never been so glad to have a beer and see some football in my life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so is that the first order of business? Beer and football. That beer and cool.
0: football, yeah. That's
1: perfect. I love,
0: I, it. I love it. As I said, uh, when you start Noah, quoting the lines in that cartoon that you've seen for the 400th time, you know it's time to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have I have kids that are out of the this, this super young zone, and so I, I feel you. Yeah, I know exactly how that
0: is. Yeah. Well, Ace Atkins, welcome to the Thriller Zone. What an honor.
1: Well, hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, it has been a long time in the making. You've been a busy guy, and uh, I appreciate you carving out some time. My pleasure. We are going to get to this book, which uh, is quite a page turner. Bye, bye, baby. It is part of the Robert B Parker series, and uh, we're going to get to that in a minute, but I I wanted to uh, just join in. First of all, there are going to be some of my listeners. We're uh, celebrating our second season. We're about seven months in. All right. And for those of us who are not familiar with Ace's work, we've got the New York Times bestselling series, Quinn Colson. we've got the Robert Parker Spencer series, Nick Travers series, as well as four standalone novels and his brilliant career. And I'm guessing, I'm going to go out on a limb here, I'm going to guess that with, what, 30 novels in your repertoire, nearly, you're not even close to kicking back and chilling at REAs.
1: You know, I, I'm excited about new stories that I'm working on. This is, you know, this is unfortunately is is uh, going to be the last Spencer that I write. Uh, I've done 10 of them, and I've had a ball doing it. Robert Parker was one of my idols. Uh, but one of the reasons or the main catalyst for uh doing that is i have so many new stories that i want to tell so it's kind of like i have a, a netflix queue ready to go with all the new the new tales i want to do so uh yeah i'm looking forward to to, to getting to work in 2022 for sure
0: awesome and speaking of netflix and streaming and, and the way that we have so much more uh, information and entertainment coming at us these days this is a really great question uh, or an idea that um You know, you must be with a prolific uh, background as you have, you must be just chock full of ideas. So how do you do that? Do you do you stack them up and you say, you know, this is going to be part of this series? Do you have brand new ideas that are coming along?
1: You know, I do keep a. again. It's it is somewhat like a Netflix queue. I have ideas that really strike me as being very good novels. And uh, you know some of them work very have worked very well for Spencer, and then certainly certain books that work very well for Quinn. A lot of that has to do with geography. you know what books are going to be set in Boston? What's a very city urban kind of story that I want to tell for Spencer? or is it something that's going to happen in rural America, and that's going to be something for Quinn Colson. But I'm very aware that I used to be a newspaper reporter uh, years ago. I worked in Florida, and so I, I'm always looking for good stories coming down the wire. You know, and and um, you know, just to, to make a note of them, I just keep them in the queue, and I and I organize them, and I put the top ones I want to work on. So I kind of know right now what's the one, two, three. What am I really passionate about? Uh, you know, because that that story is is going to be the thing that's going to bring readers in, and and hopefully, you know, what I what I've tried to take pride in with Spencer is not just writing a Spencer novel. Uh, Mister Parker had uh, written thirty nine books before he passed away with Spencer, and you know, the whole reason I was hired was to bring new stories to the table for those wonderful characters that he created. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's what I've done. Uh, I'm, I'm getting out at, at 10 books that I've written. And overall, it'll it'll be there was another book that was partly written by Parker and partly by his agent, but there's gonna be 50 overall. So I figured that what a milestone for that character. And, and so I've uh, been, been very pleased to be a part of it.
0: Well, and you know what you've had, Ace, you've had the perfect background. Uh, when, mm-hmm. when people say to me and, and I've heard other discussions, whether it's a thriller fest, wherever, and people go, oh, where do you get your ideas? And I'm like, I'm always thinking to myself, pick up the newspaper, watch okay. the news headlines. I mean, they're just, they're one after the other, it, it, and, and I'm not talking about stealing an idea wholesale. I'm talking about take a germ of an idea and go tag the classic what if and go from there. And and with your background, you had it all around you, didn't
1: you? Yeah, I did. And there's there's no doubt. I mean, I used to cover the uh, the police beat. That was my main thing. I you know I certainly spent a decent amount of time in the courthouse and seeing interesting trials that took place. I you know it used to be my every day when I was a you know right out of college. Uh, best part of the day was getting up in the morning, get a big cup of coffee on the street, being in downtown Tampa, and going to the police station and talking to the the desk sergeant and the, uh, you know, the the communications director and the the detectives who are coming through, you know, hunting for a good story. And that's what my training is, is what is a good story? What's going to motivate that? And I think that, you know, even though you have a character like Spencer, who's such an iconic character and such a, one of the, the, really the greatest private eyes in history, you know, up there with Philip Marlowe and and Sam Spade. He's one of our great detectives. He's gotta have a good case and he's gotta have something interesting to do. And so, yeah, I am always fishing for ideas and I'm not fishing for ideas in other novels. I'm not inspired by, I read this one story, this story in another book, it doesn't translate. But when you see something that's happened in real life, something that's happened in your own community, Um, you know, that's the, for me, that's where everything happens, whether it's, it's Spencer, whether it's Quinn or whether it's one of the true crime novels I've written, it's all coming from real life.
0: Well, and it keeps it real. And you know, it's, you know, people always say that there aren't any original ideas that everything's been done, but I don't know. I always believe that, uh, there's all always a flavor or, or an angle. I mean, again, you take a and ordinary right out of the rip it right out of the headlines and just turn a twist on it. And you've got a whole new story like the, like in Bye Bye Baby, which we'll talk about in a minute. Sure. You know, it's, uh, it's, you know, when I first started reading, I was like, Oh, this is right. Wait, no, that's not exactly right out of it, but it's pretty close to what we just saw. And, uh, you know, it goes back to my thinking too. There's plenty of room for everybody. You know, we get a little bit, uh, Afraid of that daunting? Well, there's so many books out there, and the but there's always going to be somebody who wants that little Spencer flair or that Quinn flair, or you know, it's plenty of room
1: for everybody. Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's uh, you know, if the 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 characters resonate with people, is the story intriguing? That does it draw you in? And it's a uh, it's a lot hard <laughs> it's a lot harder than it looks. Uh, you know, it's like it's like with Spencer, you know, um, uh, the the genius of Bob Parker that showed me the way you know with 39 books and the other novels that he had written and he made it look so damn easy i mean this there's just when you pick up a parker novel you think oh my gosh this is so simple and that was the genius of parker is he made it look easy and he's he was like a you know parker was like a great athlete you know you see a guy stepping up to the plate and you say oh geez i could do that you know you know every guy in america sit down swilling beer and go oh, i could be one of those guys in the nfl yeah. or major league baseball i could do that but the great ones make it look easy. And he was one of the great ones. And, and not only did I learn a lot from Parker before I learned, started writing Spencer, I learned a lot from so much about Spencer writing Spencer. And so this has been like a, you know, uh, like a master class being able to really dissect those novels and see how he did things. And uh, it, there's a reason why that character is so popular 50 years, 50 years on, not a lot of, not a lot of characters have that kind of longevity.
0: No, I can't think of many, you know, and and it makes me wonder with that journalism background, were you thinking, were you daydreaming about being a writer as it, it, during that period? Was it further back in college? Was it even further back? I mean, how when did you decide that you know what that right there full time guy that's what I want?
1: You know, I have to admit, I I did from a very like a very you know you ask kids uh, about their career and what an unusual career that I had chosen, and I was I was an athlete in high school and in college and. But that was never really my dream. I mean, that was something I did that was part of, you know, uh, how I paid for school. And I was glad to be part of it. But my dream was always, you know, I loved going to a bookstore. I loved going back in those old days, going to a used paperback store and and seeing Robert Parker on the shelf and and, and, uh, finding, you know, it was harder to find books back then, you know, 25 years ago. It wasn't like now you could just you know, order something online. I mean, if you were looking for, you know, an early Parker book, you had to go to the old paperback store and go find it and search it out. So that's what I wanted to do. You know, John D. McDonald. Uh, I was very fortunate to know Elmore Leonard. Uh, and He became a good friend of mine. And 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 I was just, he was one of my heroes. And so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, that was the career that I wanted to have. So I knew that certainly probably going back to high school, in college, and then the question of if how do you do that? You know, how does that how does that really translate? You know, you don't put in a resume to become a crime writer. And I think what I was really lacking, I knew the kind of stories I wanted to tell, but I didn't have good stories. You know, I you know I didn't have the life experience that Parker had. I didn't have the life experience that John D. MacDonald had. So I I really fell into it, but uh, that's why I became a, a reporter, and that's why I wanted to be on the crime beat is to collect those experiences to collect those stories to hang out in the you know the the police department to hang out at the at the jail to do jailhouse interviews meeting people you can't i don't think you can write authentically if you haven't been around that world and i was so damn fortunate to be a part of that and it's everything i do uh since that time i have not been a uh you know full-time journalist uh since 2001 but that experience I had during those years was just absolutely invaluable.
0: Okay, well, I, I gotta admit, I'm a little distracted because you were former friends with one of my absolute heroes. How did you um, get to know and befriend Elmore Leonard for crying out loud?
1: Well, it's a good story. I'm glad you asked that because it, you know, it's something that uh, it sounds unbelievable. I got to know uh, Elmore Leonard when I was in France Uh, we were both on a book tour uh, book promotional tour and also hitting some um, a book festival that was in the South of France. I know this sounds just unbelievable. And uh, he and his wife were there and uh, we spent time on the train together and at the, you know, doing these press junkets. And and it's so unusual in France when you do promotion for a book, because people love writers. I mean, writers are are much bigger celebrities than they are in America. And so in Elmore Leonard, got off the train and in the South of France, there was media meeting him there and, and pe- pictures and flashbulbs going off and whatever. I mean, he was such a hero, wonderful man. And uh, we ended up striking up a correspondence and he was um, very old school. So we did not email. Uh, we exchanged letters. And so I have some very treasured letters that came from him that were, hand, you know, typed out and he would send these. He was very generous. I was very young when i met him i was still out in my 20s and uh i think he knew that i was very serious about making this career and could not have been more uh generous uh and more honest with his evaluation of my work and i learned a lot from him so he is he is one of the all-time greats and and will always be you know one of the, the greatest crime writers ever
0: wow that is so fantastic You know and so many questions come to mind i'll try to keep them real pointed did do you find yourself did you find yourself because he has such a specific style such a a terse and tight uh style in both the westerns and the more modern adaptations of stories did you find yourself wanting to borrow a little bit of that or did you take an essence of um perhaps some of his instructions since he was so uh generous with that and incorporated into your writing
1: I think um, one of the biggest things about his work that is so impressive is you don't notice him writing, you don't notice him writing. And I think that there are many writers that you celebrate and you go, my God, what a, what a sentence and what a, you know, florid over the top of the sunset and the moon and the stars and the, you know, all that stuff. And (laughs) just thought that was just a bunch of bag of tricks. And it was unnecessary. And the whole thing was to immerse you into the novel and not to fall back on those writer tricks that a lot of writers really get pats on the back for, for being over the top. So what, what he taught me to do, and, and from reading my early novels, and he, and he was generous enough to give blurbs, but I also on the side said, okay, all right, Mr. Leonard. You know, I never called him Dutch or anything. I just called him Mr. Leonard. I said, what did you really think? And he said, well, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. But it mainly was his, his effortless style and the way you just did not even notice he was writing. And it goes back to one of his great rules of writing, which I always, anytime that I, I teach a creative fiction class or whatever, I pull out the Elmore Leonard rules of writing, which is if it looks like writing, take it out. And it's hard to understand that. But, but after a while, I finally got it. And I think about that every day I sit down at the keyboard.
0: Well, and I, and, I, and I have to admit the Bye Bye Baby, Parker in general, <clears throat> really kind of personifies that. Uh, and I haven't read tons of Parker. I, I probably read some of the early ones, but that's one of the things I so enjoy. And it's so funny. You're making me think of something, Ace. I had Meg Gardner, not to drop a name, but I had Meg on an early show and I love Meg's style. And yeah, she,
1: and she's a very, she's a very good friend of mine. She's wonderful.
0: Oh, I adore her. And, and she has such a, if I use the word floral, it sounds uh, a little off the center, but she, she has such a command of the English language. And I have often said to her, I'm like, babe, how in the world did you get that sentence with that word and so forth, which I love. And then I get to Spencer and bye-bye baby. And I'm just going, tin, tin. and you know, the pages are just doing this and I'm so lost in the story and the lack of uh, florid mechanics that I just, you, the book is over and you're like, oh, geez, where did that go? So,
1: and I think that that's two different, very, uh, different, uh, ways of storytelling. Meg is one of my favorite crime writers working today. She is uh, outstanding. One of the smartest people in the business, a wonderful writer and comes up with some of the most inventive storytelling. I love her books. Um, you know, Parker, the, the way that the books, you know, flow and read is very much, um, a Parker type thing. And it's a very unusual thing. When I sit down, you'll see a lot more influence in Elmore Leonard with my Quinn Colson books. Uh, the Quinn Colson books are absolutely me and my style and the way that I write and the way I want to tell a story. But when I'm writing a Spencer book, I have the added layer of difficulty, which I'm writing it as the way Parker would have written this book. I'm not writing this. I'm not trying to put my own stamp on a Spencer book and saying, wow, that that ASAC, it's he changed up the way Spencer was on. The best compliment that I ever get from readers is there was a, a, a seamless transition into the new books. And it felt like after Bob wrote the book Six Kill, we rolled right into Lullaby. And there was not a change of business. There was not a change I felt. And so that's really what I wanted to accomplish. So I look at things very differently when I'm writing you know, I say my own books, but they are, you know, when I'm writing a Quinn Colson book, that is my own book, you know, no matter what I do, when I'm writing a Spencer book, it's still Bob's book. And it's really, it is, I would never write for anybody else. I would have, never have any interest in writing for another author. I just love the Spencer character. And it was, it's just been a blast writing that thing. But I, I really come to it again, with the added level of difficulty or layer of difficulty, which is to write it as Bob would have written. Use the words Bob would have written, uh, the, the pacing Bob would have used, all those kind of details.
0: Well, it, it, so, so many questions are racing to my mind, so I'm gonna get right to it. Do you recall the first Robert B. Parker uh, book you read? And was it well prior to your being approached by his estate to carry on the torch?
1: Absolutely, I mean, Bob Parker uh, was, the, was the, the catalyst for me wanting to become a crime writer. Uh, oh, really wanting to become a novelist. So I read I think it was um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think one of his mid you know early 80s books, maybe maybe it was ceremony I can't can't remember. And I really enjoyed it, but it didn't it didn't quite I, I felt like there was a back uh, story that I wasn't getting. And so I went back to the beginning and I'm kind of a completist. I like to read everything. You know, if I'm reading Ian Fleming, I want to start back at Casino Royale. I want to read everything and see the whole story. And Bob's story with Spencer is not necessarily a long arc. You know, usually the books are very self-contained, but you certainly gain a lot of knowledge about that character going back to the beginning. So, again, I went back to a secondhand bookshop was not, I I think at that time, it may have been out of print, or at least hard to find, got a copy of Godwolf Manuscript, the original novel that was published almost 50 years ago uh, now, and uh, started that. And I just, oh, my God, that novel just blew me away. And I said, this is is what I want to do. This is the kind of story that I want to write. This is what I want to get into. And it led me to you know, becoming a, a crime reporter and hanging out with cops and, you know, the, the crime beat and then writing detective stories. And, and it was funny, Parker really, it wasn't the other way around. Parker led me to Hammond and Chandler. Um, you know, I read Parker before I read Hammond and Chandler. And then I read those guys that, that had influenced him and the, the, the whole story of the, the, the great American detective novel. So, you know, we're going back to when I was a teenager, uh, reading these books. And, uh, it was just a, yeah, it, to, to be able to come back around, uh, into my career and then to be able to write that character, uh, was his, his bit of thrill.
0: Well, you, you know, much, my audience is made up of, uh, both established authors, whether it's traditional or self-published and, but for those of whom have no idea what it's like Because I try to, when I was studying up on you, I was like, what would it be like? And this is, and and you've kind of referenced it, but I want to see if I can get one more step specific. Can you share what it's like to step into and write as another author? You're not just borrowing cadence and minimalism. You're doing more because if, have you ever acted by the way in school or?
1: No, but I've been, uh, I've been around that world. So I, I know, yes, I, I, I have very good friends that are, I, I have friends that are actors that I like them so much. I would never become an actor because I see the talent that they have.
0: Okay. So the point being, uh, you know, a, a good actor can take, can become this other character that they are not, and they do it with reckless abandon, no seams. You don't see it happening like the De Niro's and so forth. So I I'm kind of wondering if it's anything like that to write as someone else.
1: I think it is. is. no, no, for sure. And I think that's a really uh, terrific analogy. That's exactly when I am writing uh, I am writing in the voice and the style and the manner of Robert Parker. Uh, Again, from day one, you know, I never had the, the idea of I'm going to put my personal stamp on this. I'm going to change the, nobody wants to see that. People want to see Spencer continue and the books are first person. So you do have to get into that character. Of course, the joy of writing this character is, that character has been so much a part of my life that I started that almost immediately. I remember when they, when I was asked if I would contribute some pages to possibly starting to write Spencer. The editor, uh, Chris Pepe, who had been Parker's editor for 20-odd years or, or more, Chris said, um, you know, at this time I was already established crime writer. She said, do you want me to send you a box of Bob's books so you can get used to the style and what he wrote about? And I said, Chris, I said, I've been reading his books since I was a kid. And I said, I have every one of them on my shelf, first editions. I said, I'm a, not only a, a Parker fan, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a completist as far as a, as a book collector. I said, I can, she said, well, when can you start? I said, I know that character so well, I can start tomorrow. And so there's so much about that character as I grew up that, you know, our lives are very similar. You know, I, I know what it's, uh, you know, we like to, you know, we like to uh, drink beer. We like to, you know, work out. Uh, you know, I like to, uh, you know, I like to watch baseball. I like, uh, you know, all those things that are very, you know, I, I know what it's like as a reporter to investigate cases. I know what it's like to run into, uh, you know, issues trying to get to the truth of something with the police and all that kind of stuff so I felt like over the years that character has really influenced me not only as a writer as a person so but but certainly as I'm writing that when I am writing a Spencer book I do get into character and it is very similar to an actor I think getting into a role
0: Here's the great question that would be part of my uh, rapid fire, which usually wraps up the show. And, and how, what is your process like? And, and I don't know why all writers want to ask other writers, their process is probably the same way with sports or actors, but do you like, because you, 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 triggered my thinking when you said uh, get into character do you like to go into solitude do you demand solitude and silence or do you like can you go to the do the coffee shop thing with all the atmosphere and the noise and listen to music etc
1: uh i think for me coming out of uh, again the training in in the newsroom the newsroom is not exactly a holy uh uh you know <laughs> you know <laughs> it's not a library through, you know soundproof void you know and i think that uh i had to train myself to listen to a lot of noise so so I know that years ago, I had rented an office that was out in the country uh, here. And it was so quiet at some point that I was working. This was like 10 or so years ago. I could hear the wind blowing around the buildings. It was just so quiet. And I couldn't write. It was just too quiet. And I ended up even paying the rent for the office. But I would go to the local Starbucks or coffee shop or whatever and write because I needed the action around me. Um, so I like a little bit of noise. I like a little bit of action, not too much noise, not too much chaos, but, uh, you know, for me, I like to be around, you know, I I can write a tremendous amount sitting down in a coffee shop and just having the activity around me. I can't work with ringing phones and answering email. I I don't multitask like that, but I do like to be around people and I like to have some energy around me while, while I'm working.
0: Yeah. Not that it's about me. It's about you. But I, I know when I was living in New York uh, with my wife uh, a few years back, I I really excelled when I would go down to about Midtown and sit in a restaurant where the there was construction and traffic. But for some reason, the sound of the city energized my brain and it made it oh, so I mean, much I easier. Wrote, than,
1: yeah? I wrote some great uh, Spencer chapters. A uh, good friend of mine has been wonderful over the years. Let me uh, use his condo in Cambridge. And uh, I'd go down into uh, you know, a coffee shop somewhere in Cambridge and just sit down and the action and the, the you know, you write the jackhammers and the, the noise and the people talking and, you know, just hearing that, that just would always get me right in the flow of Spencer. And I love being around that. It just yeah. is the best place in the world. For me, if I gave, if you gave me a, you know, solitude of a cabin on the lake or whatever, I'd, I would do absolutely nothing.
0: <laughs> I have to admit something, is, I, and I, it, I whipped my head when I read the name Philo Vance mentioned in the book and, in reference to Spencer. And then upon further investigation, pun intended, I realized that you are referencing the amateur detective from the SS van, uh, SS van right. Dines, right? Seriously. Right. Yeah. I'm assuming you're a big fan.
1: You know, I don't know those books that well, to be honest with you. I know those films, uh, uh, with uh, William Powell and I kind of came to those films through his you know his Nick Charles and the, the Thin Man films which I love absolutely love and of course I love that novel as well uh, but yeah no I am familiar but probably more familiar with the the early talkies that he was Philo Vance and uh, you know that was kind of an interesting thing when I first uh, started writing Spencer it was kind of a mentioned to me as maybe I'd I shouldn't have such uh, old references maybe I should be referencing new things whatever but Parker never did that I mean Parker easily would have mentioned Philo Vance and that was not of his era I mean Parker you know was born in the 30s I mean he was just a a child when or a baby when these things were coming out but he just had a love of I think classic Americana whether it was detective novels or classic film or classic music or whatever. And I think that's what has contributed to the longevity of the, the of those novels is there is uh, their cultural references and things that are just, uh, you know, distinctly 20th century American. And that's that's another thing that I, I wanted to keep going. In the books.
0: Yeah. And you know what, here's a compliment there. What what I liked about those uh, varied references throughout is that you much like Back to Meg Gardner, is it? It forces me to pick up a book or go to Wikipedia and drill down on it. And then what it does is it either reignites an old memory or it makes me research and dig further. So I actually get more of an education as I did with this book by just investigating some of those points.
1: You know, that's such a Parker thing to do, which is just to give a throwaway line of a very obscure baseball player, or um, you know, a, a. a jazz artist that is seldom known and just have a throwaway line of you know somebody doing this and it does send you uh, what is he talking about of course now it's much easier when when bob was doing this in the 70s and 80s you know you you really sometimes he'd really lead you know leave you scratching your head because it wasn't easy to find out who the hell he was talking about um to the point that there was a guy that i think was a british writer Published a book about 25 years ago that was simply just the obscure references in Spencer novels, and so it's called the Spencer Companion. And so when you're reading early Spencers, it's a kind of a hard book to find, but he would have a little reference guide of exactly what the hell Bob was talking about. Uh, now we can just Google it, but uh, but the, he I think he really delighted at just throwing those little little jokes out there. He had a very sly, very funny, very uh, very uh, you know very terrific just had a wonderful sense of humor
0: yeah well i'll be researching that one um the one-liners that are that end up in being in this book that i truly adore is um one of my favorite things and which is why when you're writing the spencer novels i i i take notes constantly about particular lines that i like and if you don't mind i'd like to read just a couple that sure. just had me falling on the floor oh please here's one Farrell's face turned red and he invited me back, although it appeared he'd rather eat a buffet of glass than spend more time with me. <laughs> Where in the world does that come up with?
1: I think, uh, you know, I, I think that it goes back to, I think that type of, uh, you know, those little one-off lines are certainly in the spirit of raymond chandler and yeah you know, chandler had those you know i'm not not in any way is that you know to the, the great level of chandler but i think that that's all what we're trying to go for i think that that's what certainly got bob influenced there would be no spencer without philip marlowe and uh that that world weariness uh is such a part of the the classic detective novel it has yeah. to, it has to be in there and hopefully hopefully gives you a little laugh i think that's why I think that's the longevity, longevity of Chandler and I think that's the longevity of Parker is if it gives you a laugh and a smile and it's not about uh, darkness and gloom. And I, and I think especially during these days, which, which have been tough on everybody, whatever, it's hard for me to read a book that doesn't make me laugh. And I think that's why going back to our, our you know, uh, conversation earlier about Elmore Leonard is, God, you just love those books because they're so much fun. You know, they yeah. just always would make you laugh.
0: Uh, here's another one i i had to read it twice because i enjoyed it so much Uh, one character says to spencer you don't talk much do you he says never say anything that doesn't improve the silence that's good enough of itself however rosen said you always keep to that to which he responds yeah but it's tough i have so many interesting things to say
1: (laughs) (laughs) there was (coughs) one of the 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 real wonderful assets uh, when I first write, started writing Spencer uh, was getting to know uh, the people in, in Parker's inner circle. And when Bob passed away, uh, the people that were around him had been such a part of his team for a long time. And I meant his, just his, his support team, uh, including his, uh, Joan Parker, who became a great friend of mine and was one of the funniest women I've ever met in my life. Uh, and also a man named Mel Farman. And Mel was Bob's best friend for over 50 years. And before I would start writing a Spencer book, I'd go up there and hang out with Mel, and that—that sounds like something Mel would say. Uh, That's kind of that kind of edge, that 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 kind of wry, kind of offhand humor. Um, I think Bob and Mel used to just riff on each other at a bar, and Mel really helped kind of set that tone, um, I think, for the books. And I was so—he just recently passed away. And I was so grateful to, in fact, he's one of the people that were dedicated, the book is dedicated to, and I was so grateful to have him and Joan who really, I think it helped me get that tone that was right for the books.
0: You make a real interesting point. It's, it's the same way I feel with Hawk in between Spencer and Hawk. It is feels like you're over, you're eavesdropping on two guys, two good friends, hanging out in a bar, just trying to one up each other with great, you know, slappy lines. All right, I'm going to do one more because the little aside sprinkled in among the scene setups and the dialogue runs are just priceless. So um, uh, Glass says, holy hell, Spencer, does the coffee maker always make that slurping noise to which he responds only when it's happy. (laughs) And, you know, it's those moments where you, you know, you're you're going down a trail and there's something serious happening. But back to your point, those little asides sprinkled in do something to the reader that kind of, oh, yeah, you know, you're getting this little momentary respite of, okay, there is humor in everything because we do that as humans, right? We don't, it isn't all just gloom and doom, et cetera. Anyway, love that. And I think, spe- you
1: know, I, think that, I think going back to, again, you know, I keep on talking about the newsroom, but I think that, you know, to be able to survive in the, the newsroom and the newspaper back in the old days, you had to have kind of a what a friend of mine called gallows humor. And I think that the, if not, if you took everything in that was happening, you would just go absolutely nuts. Uh, and so you had to have those kind of moments of levity and, and being able to laugh at things or you could not survive the business. And I think in the same way you know, that Spencer exists in a, in a world that there are some really terrible people, uh, some really awful folks that are about doing some terrible things. You have to have something about that to keep your keep your sanity, and I think that's a good lesson for us all,
0: yeah, and along a similar line, speaking of the sexual tension innuendo and so forth, the playfulness between hena's girlfriend is so well done it's just enough to tantalize because you know it's going to happen, but you don't you don't spend any great time with it and i I kind of like that in this day and era of. Uh, everybody kind of overdoing everything, and I'm a guy that you know has his fair share of overdoing. But there's something about that that just kind of a wink and a nudge. And,
1: and I think that's all Parker. You know, that's something that I'm just kind of creating. That's that's something I'm carrying over from his style and his his books, which is that playful banter and that innuendo, and that's just very very Parker esque.
0: Yeah. Now, I'd like to take a second, Ace, if you don't mind, because I'm going to flash this up on the screen for my uh, YouTube viewers. For those who would like to catch up on the series, I'd like to mention all 10 besides Bye Bye Baby. There's Someone to Watch Over Me, Angel Eyes, Old Black Magic, Little White Lies, Slow Burn, Kickback, Cheap Shot, Wonderland, and Lullaby. If you, listener, viewer, like I, and like Ace, like to go back, and what's the phrase you used about completion, continuation?
1: I can't remember. I'm sure it was a great... Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it was brilliant. Being a a completist or...
0: That's it, being a completist. If you want to be a completist like us big boys, then you want to go back and read them all. Now, I do want to ask you, I want to get on to Quinn in just a second, but my last thing is, what was your favorite thing, especially now that we know that you're going to say goodbye to Spencer, what was your favorite thing about being Spencer and what will you miss most about him?
1: I think uh, the number one thing was getting to know uh, the people that were part of Bob's life, Uh, you know, uh, getting to become friends with Joan Parker was just fantastic. She was so supportive from the beginning. She, anything that I needed help. I know that there is, I was writing the the third book, that was about the the New England Patriots and I needed to you know get over to Gillette Stadium and I needed to go see the facilities and Joan picked up the phone being Joan Parker in Boston knew everybody in Boston she got it all set up and you know the next day I was at Gillette Stadium getting a you know first class treatment and a, you know opening doors Joan had that type of reach in Boston and she was so generous with her time she was such a wonderful friend and again, I'll mention my friend, Mel Farman. Um, Mel, oh my gosh. You know, I would land at Logan. The first thing I would do is go meet Mel at uh, Legal Seafood in Cambridge, uh, which sadly isn't there anymore. And there was a little plaque on the bar where it said, this is where Bob Parker sat along with his alter ego, Spencer. And we would just sit there and talk. And the next day we would be researching and we would go We would go everywhere. You know, there were cert- certain neighborhoods where uh, Mel would turn to me and Mel You know, Mel at this time was late 70s, early 80s. And he'd say, kid, if you want to go there, you're on your own. You know, some rough, really rough neighborhood. You know, there were there were certain lines, but but pretty much Mel was game to go anywhere. And we and so that was really the highlight. And then also getting to know the city of Boston. And I did not know Boston that well when I started writing these books. And then 10 years on, I know Boston very, very well. And I've been able to become meet some wonderful people, uh, you know, getting to know people to the Boston Fire Department. Uh, the, the Boston Fire Department was so terrific when I was writing Slow Burn. I got to hang out with arson investigators and I hung out with the, the commissioner and went to an arson scene. They were just, people in Boston were so generous with the fact that they knew I was writing Spencer and he's such an he's such the Boston hero that people wanted to help. And so I will miss that. And I'll miss, you know, uh, I'll, I miss my friends dearly that got me into this world and helped me with it. But, uh, you know, I hope my, my connection with the city of uh, Boston will continue.
0: Awesome. So well done. Well, as we kind of start heading our way toward wrapping up, I do want to spend a quick minute on Quinn Colson for crying out loud. How far into your writing were you when Quinn appeared to your subconscious and one step further, where did he come from?
1: I was writing, I wrote, very early on when I was in my, my twenties, early twenties, I had this character, Nick Travers, who was, you know, kind of a, I'm from the, from the South and he was kind of a Southern version of, of, you know, very influenced by Spencer. Uh, instead of an ex-boxer, he was a ex-football player. He lived in New Orleans. It was very New Orleans centric, you know, very, very influenced, very, very much inspired by, by Parker's work. Um, and after that I started writing, uh, books when I was older, uh, my 30s and really you know I I more complex stories about true crimes that had happened I wrote books that took place in 1950s Tampa I wrote books that were set in uh, 1930s America about Machine Gun Kelly and I wrote a book about the Fatty Arbuckle scandal of 1921 and so I wrote these kind of big sprawling historical epics that were very challenging and I said I would never write a series ever again I just said that's I just I was not interested in doing a series and so um my editor, who is a wonderful, legendary editor, a guy named Neil Niren, who has edited Carl Hyacin and John Sanford and Clive Custler, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, he said, Ace, you might want to think about writing a series. Uh, mainly, you know, one of the reasons is series are very popular. And as much as I am passionate about stories that happen in, during the Great Depression and things like that, he said, you just can't be the contemporary crime series. And he said, I really want you to think about this. So, that was, the, that was the, the reason why Quinn Colson came about. And how he came about was I really thought about, you know, what was important to somebody like Parker, what he created a character that was very true to Boston, very true to that world. Uh, and for me, I wanted to create a character like that, that was very true to where I live in North Mississippi. And so I really concentrate on a, you know, a, a small, t- small county, Um, I have a character who's recently returned home from the military. A lot of it's very, uh, you know, very post 9-11 world. Uh, You start seeing kind of the rise of these uh, extremists that have come in that are starting to you know, influence this world. And it, it just, I wanted to write a uh, kind of a grittier version, if this makes any sense of the Andy Griffiths show. So if the Andy Griffiths show and the and Sheriff Andy had an R rating, you know, there you'd have Quinn Coulson. Uh But I've been doing those books now. I can't believe it. You know, I, I said, I would never write another series, but after I wrote the first book um, uh, it was actually Neil Niren who put me up to write Spencer. And he was the one who mentioned, he said, I know that the, the Parker family wants somebody to write Spencer, so he saw things in my work, even though they were deeply Southern, very different from Bob's work. That he saw that would translate uh, into Parker's kind of storytelling, and it was uh, it was a good, great match.
0: Well, I love. Uh, by the way, I love your uh, the covers on the Quinn Colson series. They're all very similar, which is great branding, uh, and you know they just have this you know, it's the same guy with a rifle, but it doesn't matter. Each one tells this little story story. And I, it makes me think of, um, and I hope this is a compliment. I love the Longmire series.
1: With, uh, Craig Johnson,
0: Craig Johnson. Thank you. I was going Craig something. And it has a, has a similar feel and you know, it's just that rugged Americana, no bullshit. Uh, you know, <laughs> tell it like it is. And, and I love that. You, you can't beat
1: that. I think there's a little, uh, you know, I think that it may be a little bit, um, not exactly accurate on the covers. It does look a little bit more that way that it's more of, you know, hell yeah, America kicking indoors, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think there is an element to, to true American ideals that, that somebody like Quinn Colson represents, but there's a tremendous amount of discussion about the really un- un- ugly underbelly in America that's going on right now. Um, you know, um, people that are turned towards, you know, populist politics, uh, a return to deep, of course, you know, all over the country, not just in, in, uh, in, in rural Mississippi, a return to deeply racist ideas and things like that. So there's a lot of social commentary in those books. And so there's, a, you know, unfortunately, you know, Quinn Colson has had a lot of things to discuss, a lot of things to talk about uh, it reminds me very much of what Parker did in early 1970s Boston. And early 1970s Boston was not an idyllic place to be. It was rife with, uh, with racism, with, uh, you know, with with conflicting ideas. Uh, and you know, it, it's funny to think about. But at the time, Parker created. Spencer, the idea of having a best friend who is black in Boston was a very radical idea. and I think we're kind of used to now seeing buddy films with a team up of whites and uh, with a white hero and a black hero, that kind of thing. But when Bob did that, it was very revolutionary. And so, again, very inspired by those books, just taking that world and translating it to to what's going on in the, the Deep South now.
0: Yeah. And uh, this uh, bye-bye baby full of the racism that you mentioned. You know, I have an interesting observation, Ace, as we begin to wrap it up. And I found that when I would lay this book aside, and and it took me just a couple of days to get through it. But when I would lay it aside to go do other stuff, when I returned, I hope this makes sense. I felt like I was rejoining an old friend, like when I would get together with a buddy for a beer and a conversation. and And very few books do that to me, you know. I read a lot of books for the show and then there are a lot of books I read for myself, but there are very few books that come along that, that impress me that way that you just like, wow, I can pick it back up again and there's my pal Spencer and let's just go through the day together.
1: I think that's what again creates, uh, or what has contributed to the longevity of this series. Uh, people connect to this character and they, in some ways I think he, uh, I think he makes them feel better about living in a very ugly, sordid world. And I think the this what what Parker did, and I think Parker did personally, and what Spencer continues to do is say, you know, let's face it: the world is an ugly, unfair place. There are people who are morally corrupt. Uh, there is, there is, you know, racism. There is dissension. There is greed. People are just that way but it doesn't have to influence who I am. I can still be a moral, uh, decent person in this very, very ugly world. And I think that that type of story, that type of hero probably means more today than ever before. And I think that that's why that character will continue on and other characters who, I think that's one of the big draws of crime fiction, which goes back to Hammett, goes back to Chandler, uh, is somebody, you know, walking down that darkened alley and not letting them affect them. And I think that that's, that's hopefully uh, a lesson we can all take uh, from from crime fiction.
0: Yeah. And this is going to seem like an odd juxtaposition because you're talking about the darkness of crime. But I don't, and it's an admission uh, of my own here. I don't think I've ever been as jealous of someone's quippy dialogue as, of your as I have been yours since uh, probably Lawrence Block's Burning Rodenbar character.
1: If well, you're that's, familiar, that's a high compliment. Uh, Lawrence Block is is one of our living legends, one of the one of the absolute greats. Uh, Parker said himself uh, what he liked about. It. He said they said, "How do you come up with that quippy lines? Those great lines?" And he said, "Spencer is the kind of guy that comes up with the line that you think about five minutes later." And that's the joy of being, you know, you wish at that moment that uh, you, somebody you come across, you you came up with that perfect line and you do come up with it five to 10 minutes later. And that's the joy of being the writer, is we can go get a cup of coffee and come back and that line is still available uh, and we still can put it in the book.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ace, as we get to wrap things up here, we do this one thing called a rapid fire questions. Really quite harmless. It's not going to hurt at all. And it's just a, Kind of get stuff off the top of your head. If you still got another minute or two, of course, what is one gadget or tool that you just simply can't live without bottle opener? (laughs) Nice beef or pork ribs on the barbecue.
1: Oh man, that's a tough, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I mean, I'm from, you know, I'm from around Memphis. I got to say pork.
0: Yeah. Ditto. Uh, hush puppies or fries. Both. (laughs) <laughs> okay if you weren't a new york times best-selling author what do you think you'd be doing
1: i would be an out-of-work journalist
0: okay i saw your interview with william shoot the moonlight out boil uh, a top 10 favorite read of my 2021 by the Perfect way book, terrific book god such a good book you two were sipping bourbon on a front porch and zooming with a friend so my question is favorite beer or bourbon
1: uh, i'd have to again go to both <laughs>
0: Not fair, but I'm going to let it. All right. If you could start this one, I really love, uh, especially since I did a little bit of homework on you. If you could start a movie and I know you said you weren't an actor, but let's pretend you are, because I think you got the chutzpah to do it. Would you rather act alongside Clint Eastwood in the good, the bad and the ugly, or alongside Dennis Weaver in the Spielberg classic duel?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, you know, it it would be hard to pass up. If the role is the evil truck driver, I would probably I would say dual. I would say dual.
0: What a fun character, right? Absolutely. One of my all time favorite movies. Come on. Good, bad and the ugly. Ugh.
1: If you were if I could take you on a tour of my house, I have a, an original movie poster of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly in my kitchen that's from. original release and it is one of my you know it's one of those films that gets better every time you watch it oh my god how did you find that i i you know we could have a separate conversation about movie memorabilia but outside books that's one of my passion is passions is collecting uh movie memorabilia up to the point where my wife has uh put a a cap on ebay purchases but uh I do love uh, classic film, and particularly of that era, the, the 1960s, 1960s westerns, love it. Oh,
0: lucky you. Okay, last question, Ace. If you could sit down and have a beer and or bourbon or both with one person uh, whom you've never met, alive or otherwise, who would it be and why?
1: You know, I think, you know, probably we would, going back to, to, to Spencer and to Parker and, and what I do and what he did and whatever, is I think I'd like to, I would have liked to have hang, hung out with uh, Raymond Chandler. I think uh, Chandler, uh, I don't know how his, his mood would have been on that particular day, um, but I really, I think his worldview has influenced so much of what I did and what Parker's done that uh, I, would have, I would have loved to, I've, I've read his letters, and I, I think he, he would have been, uh, you know, maybe not always pleasant, but he would have been very entertaining to hang out with
0: superb superb answer well ace atkins uh, i can't tell you how much fun this was and how honored i am that you've been here so thank you for carving time out for us Please, on the thriller so
1: much fun so much fun and thanks for having me on i really had a, had a had a great time
0: folks if you'd like to know anything more go to aceatkins.com and there's twitter and instagram and facebook so you can be pretty much found everywhere can't you buddy
1: all that stuff except for tiktok i draw the line <laughs>
0: Oh, I'd like to see you.
1: Oh, no, that's never going to happen. No, no, no. Never, ever, ever will happen.
0: All right. Ace, once again, thank you so much.
1: Hey, My pleasure. Thanks, Dave.
0: Thanks so much to Ace Atkins for joining us on The Thriller Zone. So much fun. We learned a lot. Elmore Leonard, my, one of my all-time, lifetime heroes. And he got to build a relationship and a friendship with him. That is so cool. All right. Hey, listen, let me do this because we're doing it on the fly. Next week. On next Thursday's show, I've got Andrews Wilson. These guys are writing machines, the dynamic duo writing machines, we're going to talk about all their books, the faith-based books, the action books, the military books, what they've got coming. Movies in the making? Don't know. You'll have to tune in to find out. So much stuff jammed into January, I couldn't be happier. Thank you once again, and do me a favor: stop by thethrillerzone.com. leave us a review, uh, leave us some comments, sign up if you'd like to be on the show, and of course go over to YouTube at youtube.com/slash David Temple Author. Yes, I'm still trying to get 100 subscribers, and we can change that to the Thriller Zone. Thanks, YouTube. But do me a favor and just swing on by, subscribe, hit the bell. All that good stuff to stay tuned to more in January and the year to come in season two. I'm David Temple. We'll see you next time on The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre bending debut novel, Grand Theft AI, by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.